I got to thinking about this uh, little little study we've been on, and and I kind of, if I can put it in three little capsules, what we need to know as we look chapter by chapter in the book of Philippians. You'll rem um, hopefully you'll remember most of this, but but um, let me let me for those of you who may not have been here the last couple of weeks or whatever. Paul started this church months before and then had to leave suddenly, uh, literally, to, to escape with his life. He's writing back to them to encourage them to keep on in faith from where? Prison. From prison in Rome. Okay, so his reality is really not what it would sound like as you read his letter. Um, it, it's, it's astounding to me how positive he is in, in, in uh, light of that. Now, there is, interestingly, from prison, he hears about a rift in the church, about conflict, and he deals with that in his writing as well. But you and I need to remember, as he writes to them, that he loves them, he is heavily invested them, in them, and he believes in their future. Look at, uh, if you'll just look back, um, if your Bible's like mine, I could just turn back a page to the left. Uh, 1-6 is one of my favorite verses from, uh, from this particular book, and uh, you will recognize it. For I am confident of this very thing, that he, began, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you is going to complete it. Um, so, um, uh, that's kind of the background. Now, I want us to read, um, we're going to read, uh, really we're going to deal with only uh, eight or nine verses here. Steve, if you would uh, uh, go to verse one, two, and three, it'll give us a little bit, of, little bit more background. Boy, thanks for pronouncing those words, I, those names. I just put E and S in my notes, you know. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm, I'm happy you did. That's a smart man. Uh, okay, so um, um, let me hand out a couple of verses for us to look at. Flip, uh, let's look. Somebody get Revelation 4.10 in a minute. Thank you, Cindy. John, I saw your hand go up. Would you mind to get Acts 16, and I'll have you read verse 13 and 14. That'll come in just a minute. Now, um, he is proud of these people, so much so that he, in right fashion, okay, this isn't, this isn't haughty pride, this is, man, I'm just really proud of you, um, calls them his joy and his what? Crown. His crown. Now, let's deal a little bit with what that means. Uh, in the Bible... There are two words used for crown, translated crown, uh, and you'll see them in several different spots. We're going to look at, um, Cindy's going to help us with, with the spot in just a little bit. Um, there, is, there is the word that we kind of think about, I think. Uh, most of the time we think about a crown, it's the, the word diadema or diadema. 
which is um, a king's crown. It's uh, when you think about, uh, if any of you have watched the uh, Netflix thing, the crown, it's that crown. It's, it's a crown on a queen, a crown on a king. Um, uh, this is not that kind of crown. This is Stephanos. If there are any Steves in the room, um, Stephen is kind of taken from this Greek word Stephanos. Okay? And it is, uh, the, the crown that's described here is a, uh, is a crown of olive branches or olive leaves, uh, probably with some other greenery in it. Uh, when I heard it, when I read the description of it, it sounded like a salad, Ellie. Okay? You know. Uh, but it, it was the crown that was placed around your head when you won the Olympics. When you won the games, an athlete's crown. It is not the king's crown, it's the victor's crown. So as Paul is thinking about the race in life that he's running, he thinks about uh, these people. He says, what I'm doing, what I'm trying to accomplish, he said, you are literally the reward I get for this race I'm running. I, it's just a beautiful thought. That, that when he thinks of them, he thinks it's worth it. Um, Cindy, read Revelation 4.10. There's that word Stephanos again. Uh, that literally this picture of those who have run the race and won the crown... And there's this beautiful, this beautiful uh, kind of a, a cycle here. They lay their crowns at the Lord's feet, and he crowns them again. And they lay their crowns at his feet. Um, so it's, it's this idea. He says his crown is you. His crown is the people to whom he's writing. Now, if you, if you caught these two uh, names that Steve was helping us through here, it's the idea that there are two people. You remember there's some conflict here. And he calls these two people out. Of course, he didn't know he was writing the Bible at the time. But he's calling two people out in the Bible. Now, I've got to think about that a little bit. And they are, there is some confusion on this. But it's, it's likely that these are two women who are um, arguing with each other. Fighting with each other. Okay. Um, so, um, there's some drama and these two women are the source of it. I find it really intriguing. Now, it's likely, okay, it's likely that these two women, and the word that I want, that I left, uh, the space that I left for you to put in here, were hosts, literally hostesses, um, in the Philippians congregation. What you've got to hear me say, and there are a lot of people who get a little nervous over this, these were leaders in the church. Okay, they were women and they were leaders in the church. Paul, am I getting it wrong? Okay, they were women and they were leaders in the church. I kind of deal with that. Um, uh, there, there are groups that have kind of trouble dealing with women leading a church, but these were leaders. They were at least the hosts or the leaders of the church that met probably in their home. There were several different house churches within the Philippians congregation, and these two probably led or, or at least hosted. Uh, churches, church groups in their home. Now, I want us to go back. John, I'm going to have you go to the book of Acts to kind of the beginning of this thought 
in verse, um, um, he's going to read to us from 16 and verse 13 and 14. Talk a little bit about this. Lydia, Euodia, Sintike, or whatever you pronounce her name, they were all leaders in this church. At literally, Paul gets his first hearing um, at, at the river, by the river, with women who have gathered there, assembled there, and he tells them the gospel, and they begin to respond. So these were all leaders. Now, um, I read this question this week that I kind of made it my own. What if only one thing were remembered about you when you're gone? Add to the pressure of that, what if that's going to be recorded in the Bible? So these ladies, okay, these women, um, these women and their strife is remembered for the next 2,000 years and we're still talking about it. Interesting. Interesting that he, he references... Clement here, who is kind of the peacemaker. That's not because he's a guy. It's not, they're not being singled out because they're women. They're being singled out because they're fighting. They're arguing. They're, they're strife, strifeful. They're divisive. I read this comment this week. The brotherhood of man is impossible without the lordship of Christ. Can I make a small, oblique political statement. Think about Tuesday night. Last Tuesday night. The brotherhood of man is not going to ever work out without the lordship of Christ. Amen. Uh, the Imperials used to sing a song that, that uh, Jim Murray would say, there will never be any peace until God is seated at the conference table. It's just true. But there better be peace between you and me. <laughs> in the church, there should be, shouldn't there? This whole chapter is about walking in peace. Okay, so, um, so we kind of get this issue. Now, I, I want us to move on and go to verse 4. John, I'm going I'm to come back to you. Would you read 4, 5, 6, and 7? The need for joy is the number one thing in Paul's mind. Uh, this is good for me to think about. Uh, in the middle of a trying period of time or a trying week, I, I, I need to think about what Paul is drilling down to here when he says, you know, that it's really important that you have joy over, overriding all this stuff, despite his circumstances. Now, uh, one commentator writes that, that it's like he says rejoice and then he's caught quickly by his own circumstance. He says, okay, wait a minute. Rejoice. 
Okay, I'm in prison. This is likely going to lead to my execution. Again, I say it. Rejoice. That's a beautiful thought for me to think. That in spite of maybe even because of his current circumstance, he's saying, you know what? I can't live without joy. And you dare not do it either. So uh, the idea here is that he begins to translate um, uh, the, uh, some thoughts here into us in, in how we should live in this kind of joy. I'll say it again to you. He says rejoice. And so the next few words, I'm going to give you a couple of words, but let me t tell you how this, this, this word in verse uh, 5 um, this word in verse 5, uh, let your gentle spirit. Uh, let, me, let me read some of the different ways that expression of that word is, is uh, translated in different translations. It's also translated patience, softness. Well, oh, I love that word, softness. Um, the patient mind, modesty, believe it or not. Forbearance, it's not a word we use a whole lot. Moderation, the King James, I think, uses the word, let your moderation be, be evident to all. So the idea that the, kind of the best expression here, I, I think, is um, um, uh, to deal with this idea the Christian is to live life in, we've already said joy, but now he says in gentleness, which is given to us not because we deserve it, but by grace. So there's this kind of thought of live life in gracious gentleness. Now, as I begin to try to try to get my mind around what this actually means, uh, this gracious gentleness is, or gentleness given by grace, is the idea of knowing when to apply the law and when uh, to be, when to apply the letter of the law, and when not to. Okay. I uh, a, a county sheriff's car passed me this morning. I was happy that he applied, did not apply the letter of the law. I backed her down just a little bit because I was trying to get to a bagel. Okay. He knew, he or she knew, when to apply the letter of the law and when not to. This is the picture, this gentleness or this gracious gentleness is what Jesus exhibits, if you want to look at it, in kind of this parenthetic story, which is, aren't you glad it's included in our modern Bibles? But in John 8, when Jesus approaches the woman caught in adultery and he gives her gracious gentleness, where are your accusers, he says. Ah, you know, they're gone. Then I'm not going to accuse you either. Go and sin no more. You remember that whole story? A gracious gentleness here. And it gives us the why uh, in verse 5. What's the why? This is really critical. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. This is not the idea that um, 
Uh, for those of you uh, ladies and gents who taught school, now coach, I can imagine over the years, the guys treated one another and acted a little differently when you were in the locker room than when you were not. Okay. In other words, if they were acting up, they might be heard to say, hey, well, the coach is in here. This is not that. But it could apply that Jesus is here. Don't, don't talk that way. Jesus is here. The idea is he's coming back. And that coming is near. Talked to a friend this week who is convinced that Jesus is coming back soon. I really don't have a problem with that, you know. I'd I'd love for my grandchildren to be to be spared some of the junk that's going on in our world. I really would. The Lord is near. If He is near, then that ought to salt. That ought to season everything we do and everything we say. And so to um, to. Um, Mrs. E and Mrs. S, I won't try to say their names again. If the Lord is near, then you guys get over it and move on. Let your gentleness be known to all. Your joy that's given by grace. Now, verse 6 is a really important verse, obviously. And uh, um, maybe you committed 6 and 7 to memory um, somewhere down the, down the road. Let me read it again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, um, uh, it's saying here that the antidote for worry, nobody needs this but me, I'm sure, because nobody else in here worries. The antidote for worry is prayer but prayer that's accompanied by thanksgiving. Okay, I'm going I'm to hand out a couple more verses for us to look at because we've got to drill down on this idea of peace. Would somebody get Psalm 139, verse 23? Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Um, Isaiah 6, 23. Thanks, uh, uh, Sally, if you'll get that. And then, um, Cindy, if you would get John 16, 33. Okay, we'll get through this in a second. So the idea, this antidote for worry, if there's a biblical one, it's right here, is prayer, but it's the kind of prayer that's accompanied by thanksgiving. Now, now if you look at verse 6, and if you take a look at it again right now, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. By the way, he, he defines prayer is praying for my needs, supplication is praying for the needs of somebody else. All you need to know about that word supplication is praying for, I'm, I'm interceding for somebody else. But he says here, um, but my question is, what does everything in this verse 6 include? The word is there. Do, every, what does everything include? Uh, it, it literally says what it means. Uh, be anxious for nothing. And as if I didn't catch that, he says, but in everything. So I'm looking at both sides of that coin. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition or supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Uh, 
I, I was doing some memory work early, earlier this week with a friend, and uh, we were looking at Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, which are, are really common. I mean, you recognize them. But, but I caught something in meditating on verse 23 that I've never caught before. Uh, who is it that's got Psalm 139, verse 23? Test me and know my anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, Paul says in 4.6. David says, God test me and call me out on my anxiety. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Is that what it said, Joe? Test me and he's literally giving God permission, as if he needs permission to do anything, but he's giving him permission. To say, Lord, I want you to tell me when I'm unduly anxious. Call me out on it. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, so I was able in my journal this week to write to God and say, okay, Lord, I'm anxious about all kinds of stuff. I'm worried about, you know, I worry about what, what was it I was worried about a minute ago. You know what I mean? That kind of deal. Maybe I should be a little more like David who says to God, Lord, I give you permission. I had to do this in my journal this week. Lord, I give you permission to check me, test my heart, and call me out when I'm anxious. Let me know where my anxieties lie because there's something incompatible, incompatible with faith there or I wouldn't be anxious. In verse 7, he goes on to say, that there is a peace only given by the Lord, which in my language makes no sense. Um, okay, Isaiah 26 uh, 3. Cindy, is that what you had 26 3? Sally, thank you. Uh, if I can can paraphrase a little bit or, or remember a little bit the King James. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Uh, listen to how Jesus puts it in John 16, 33. Take heart. He doesn't lie to you about trouble in this world. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, if you'll follow me, everything is going to be rosy? You know? He says, you're going to have trouble in this world. But in one translation, it says, be not dismayed. What Cindy read said, take heart. I've overcome all that. Follow me. Now, the idea here is, I, I, I love the, the, the mental image or the word image here. Of, the, of what is going to happen, what, it, what does it say here in verse 7 is going to um, guard your heart? you got to go back a phrase to catch it. The peace of God will guard your heart. That's a, the, the word guard is a military expression for a sentry. Bill, do you ever have to stand as a sentry? Do you ever have to stand guard? Anybody in here ever have to stand guard? 
A gun and a snake. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever, I've never stood sentry, but I've been appreciative of it. Somebody standing guard over. Uh, literally, the idea is there's somebody standing guard while the other guys are asleep, right? So the idea here is what is standing sentry over my soul, over my joy, over my life, over the worries of my life? There is a sentry. Snakes and all, Sherman. I did not sleep. <laughs> there's a sentry, and his name is what? The peace of God. Oh, beloved. Live in that. There is a sentry standing watch over your soul. And his name is peace. And not just, you know, the kind of peace that's promised when politicians are making promises. It's the peace of God. The only real peace. All right now. Let's read two more verses, and we'll close this out. Somebody read verse 8 and 9. couldn't be more beautiful, could it? Jesus is going to say in the second or third beatitude, he's going to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, verse 6. Here's my problem with this season of my life, okay? So, um, about October, I decided I needed to, to start losing some weight, but then it was my birthday coming, so you got to wait till that's over. Then, well, Thanksgiving's a month later. I can't do that before Thanksgiving, right? Then Christmas is coming. Then the Super Bowl. You know, you don't want to start dieting before the Super Bowl. Now there's Valentine's Day. Who wants to go on a diet before Valentine's Day? The, the issue with dieting and me is my problem is that I really don't like diet food. I have to retrain my taste buds to believe that lettuce and yogurt taste better than steak and cake. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a hard sell. But I can. I can. Okay? I can make a choice as to what things taste good. What I want you to put in your blank. I can make a choice as to what things are attractive to me. That's what verse 8 is about. I can make a choice in my life what things are going to be attractive to me. Um, uh, and it begins this beautiful list here. Whatever is honorable, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute. If there's anything of excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Have an appetite for those things. Uh, the word I want to kind of drilled down on is the word lovely. I, that's If you come away with one in that list, the word lovely is the word winsome. Whatever is winsome. That's not a word we use every day. Look it up. Uh, it's, it's the kind of word that just makes the corner of your lips turn up. 
Oh, that was winsome. Rhonda and I are watching a, watching a series. We finished one of your series, Walt, you know. It just quit. It's like, come on. And now we're watching another series that we just, you know, occasionally it's just like, oh, isn't that sweet? What TV is sweet these days? But this is winsome. And it makes me feel better instead of feeling dirtier. I don't develop an appetite for lettuce and yogurt, not steak and cake. Whatever is winsome. The satisfied dwell on satisfying things. Now, here's my promise to you. It's right here from verse 9. When God enters your life, he remains. The word um, from John 15, 9, sometimes 15, 7, 15, 8, 15, 9, where Jesus is talking about abide in me. If you remain in me, the NIV says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and we will give you. This is my Father's going to bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. That word in an older language is the word abide. So the idea here is that when God enters my life, he abides or he remains. He takes up residence. And where he resides, he brings peace with him. If you're living with God, you're living with the source of all peace, all real peace. When he moves in, when you ask him to move into your heart, he brings, he stays there and he brings peace with him. Now, I want to ask you a question. What is your level of peace right now? Maybe, maybe you want to just sometime in the next day, maybe during church today as you're, as you're thinking through some things, uh, maybe in the prayer time, what is, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of peace? Are you at about a 5? Are you at a 9? Boy, things, I'm, I'm feeling really good. The joy level in my life is huge. Or are you about a 1? It's like, oh, man, I'm about to lose my mind. Here's my question. Is there anything you need to change in order to be more at peace? I want to go back to verse 2 and our friends E and S. The two ladies who are called out in the Bible and we're still talking about them 2,000 years later. Here's my question. Uh, Rhonda's taken me today to get two shots. They're immunization shots. Okay, I don't want to do it. But she's taking me anyway. Now, thank, if, if you look at verse 2, there are people in this world who immunize me to the gospel. And the problem with Yodia and, and Sintike is Paul was seeing that they had just enough of the gospel to immunize everybody around them. Well, if it's like what they got, I really don't need it. I don't want that. They had just enough of the gospel to immunize people around them to it. I don't want to be there. Let me give you the other side of it, and I think it'll explain it. So, I can either be a person that immunize others to the gospel, 
or those who infect others with the gospel. Does that help, Jopi? I can either be the kind of person that as people watch me, they'll say, if he's a Christian, I really don't need any of that. And it immunizes them to what I claim or what I want them to hear. But then there are those, like I would like to be, who everywhere they go, they infect, infect, infect. They're contagious, wonderfully so. And everywhere they go, the gospel is lived out. And it's like, you know what? I'm not really sure what he's all about, but whatever it is, I kind of want to have some of that. I don't want to live my life in such a way that I turn people off to the gospel. That I give them just enough of it, like an immunization shot, Jopi. Just enough of the gospel to make them immune from it. I want to live in the joy of it so that I infect those with whom I interact. Be infectious today, okay? <laughs>